You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Everyone, uh, my name is Justin Shump. Uh, I help serve in the campus ministry here in, in the West Side Church, and super grateful that you guys are joining us today. Uh, I just got married about a month and a half ago to my beautiful bride, Emma, and just wanted to take the time real quick just to thank the church for all the ways you guys supported us. Uh, it was definitely a crazy few months leading up to our wedding. Uh, but we had an amazing wedding up in Bakersfield. And so grateful for all those who, who helped and was praying. Uh, grateful for those who sent gifts. Uh, we are really, really grateful for all of you. Um, I know speaking on behalf of, of myself and Emma, uh, just wanted to thank you guys. The title of my lesson today uh, is One Nation Under God. We're going to read here in Genesis 11. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Uh, You know, after the flood, God God told the people of the new earth to repopulate, uh, to go around and, and, and be fruitful and multiply. But we read here in the story of the Tower of Babel that they stopped doing that. Uh, They decide to stop and settle. And they start to build this city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And, you know, it's believed that this tower was a ziggurat, which was very, very common in ancient Mesopotamian cities. You know, ziggurats were seen as the gateway between heaven and earth. And so if you were told this story in the past, you're probably told, well, these people, they were trying to make their way up to heaven. They were trying to get up to God. But you see, a purpose of a ziggurat was not that exactly. The purpose of a ziggurat was to bring the gods to earth. It was to bring heaven down to earth. So it can be inferred that the people were potentially trying to replicate what happened in Genesis 6, when the sons of God, these spiritual beings, came down onto earth and mingled with humans. These people wanted to bring these spiritual beings back down to earth. And this makes God really angry. Because this is why he sent the flood. This is why he restarted in the first place. And then we told them, spread across the earth, repopulate. And it says they stop moving and build this ziggurat. So God decides to punish them by confusing their language and scattering them across the whole earth. 
And for the first time since the creation of the world, humans are divided. You know, before Babel, there was one language, one nationality, one race. After Babel, there were now physical things that distinguished human beings from one another. You know, for the very first time, the world was filled with division. This is the origin in the Bible of division. And there's a reason why this story is really important to the greater story of the Bible and and also to our own lives. You see, when the people blatantly disobeyed God and, and built this ziggurat, God knew he had to punish them. But he had already promised that he wouldn't completely destroy the earth again. He promised that he wouldn't restart. So the worst punishment that God could think of, instead of utterly destroying them, was to divide them. You know, he could have made them blind or or given them all leprosy or, or taken away their hands and legs. But instead, he decided to divide them. You see, God knew that besides physical death, division was the most painful thing a human could experience. And if you don't believe me, then ask anyone whose parents are divorced. Ask them about the years of pain that came from that division. You know, ask anyone who's been betrayed by a close friend. Ask them how that division caused them to want to isolate from others, to not want to trust people. And if that is not enough to convince you, think about when you were once divided from God. You know, God, the creator of the universe, knew that the worst possible human experience was division. And right now, our world is dealing with this extreme pain from division. Division over race. Division over political ideologies. Division over whether you should be allowed to not wear a face mask when you go to Walmart. There's division everywhere. You know, our church is dealing with extreme pain from division. And we've, we've begun to kind of unbox a, a lot of feelings over the past few months. And it's very simultaneously, it's extremely healing, but it's also very concerning. Because if we know that so many of our brothers and sisters have been in pain for so long, we can't help but wonder that there must be other issues we've also been blind to. There must be many other feelings, even outside just race, that's there. You know, I've had to make a lot of different apologies over the past few months. Not just on being insensitive to my black brothers and sisters, because I've had to make many apologies about that. But also just being a bad friend. You know, my own selfishness, my own sin has caused many people to feel divided from me. And it's been hard to hear the amount of pain that I've caused others. Because as humans, we we have this deep desire to be connected to one another, to know one another. And when that connection is broken, it's extremely painful. So the thought of dealing with these these various blind spots can be extremely scary. 
There's this fear that if we don't respond the right way, if we don't navigate things perfectly, then we're just going to cause more division. You know, right now, the world desperately needs answers. And I believe the answer will be found near the origin. So why does division exist in the world? Well, it's because of what happened in Genesis 11. It's because of the punishment that God gave to humans. And this is a punishment that is perpetuated throughout all of human history. It's permeated into every culture that ever existed. And it is exhausting. You know, it'd be very easy to look at what God did in Genesis 11 and be resentful. When you think about all the pain that has come from division, it would be easy to get angry at God. But we know that God is a God full of love and grace. And that's why in Genesis 12, the very next chapter, after he divides the nations, God initiates his divine plan to put the world back together. This is Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, right after God divides the nations after the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, the very next chapter, Genesis 12, he calls Abram, who eventually gets his name changed to Abraham. And he makes him several promises. You know, over the next few chapters, God gives Abraham seven different promises. He says, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. I will give that nation land. You will have descendants who are kings. And all nations on the earth will be blessed through you. You see, it was the fulfillment of these seven promises that formed the story that we call the Bible. And we know that God fulfilled all of these promises. God blesses Abraham, and he becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And they're given the promised land, and they have descendants who are kings. And the first six promises are all fulfilled in the Old Testament. But what about the seventh promise? Because, you know, that's the one that really matters. All nations being blessed. You know, the first six were fulfilled in the Old Testament, and the seven was fulfilled in the New Testament. But how? How were all nations blessed? This is Galatians chapter 3. And we've read this scripture many times over the last few weeks. And it's easy to kind of focus on on the first part, but a lot of times we don't focus as much on the second part. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all who, of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, the Bible says that, that when you are baptized into Christ, you become a spiritual descendant of Abraham. You become an heir to the promised eternal inheritance. And you know, as Christians, I think we can take this for granted. You know, we don't realize that this is the most amazing privilege in the world to be a part of God's family. You see, if you go back a thousand years ago, if you were not Jewish, then you didn't have access to God. You had no way to connect with the Lord. Because God was exclusive to one nation, Israel. So the fact that now, through faith and our baptism into Jesus, we now have an open invitation to be a part of God's spiritual nation. I mean, that is insane. That should blow your mind how incredible that is. You know, you get to be called a descendant of Abraham, which is arguably the greatest title you can have on this earth. You see, being a Christian is so much more than just being a good moral person. There are billions of people on this planet who are not Christian that are good and moral people. You know, I can guarantee that many of them on the surface, are more moral than we are. Especially when defined by society's definition of morality. You see, our divine role as Christians is not to try and make the world a better place. There are many people and many other organizations and frankly many, many other religions who are doing a much better job at that than we are. You see, our divine purpose, according to the Bible, is to reconcile all nations back to God. You see, when you help someone study the Bible, you're not just helping make that person's life better. You are reconciling that person to the living God you are helping put the world back together. You are participating in God's divine plan to reconcile all nations to Him. You know, in Genesis 11, God delivers this extremely severe punishment to the nations. One that we are still feeling the effects of to this day. But the very next chapter, He says, look, I have a solution. He looks at Abram and says, I am choosing you. Out of all the people on the earth, out of all the nations that have been divided, I'm choosing you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. You will be Israel. And I will be your God. 
And there is a divine purpose for this nation. God says that he wants to use Israel to show all the other nations who he is. And from Israel will come a Messiah. And through this Messiah, all nations on the earth are going to be reconciled back into the family of the living God. You know, this is the entire story of the Bible. That Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all people on earth can join God's family. And this is why the stories that we've been reading about in the book of Luke are so important. You know, Jesus healing the paralytic, eating with sinners, breaking barriers with women, loving the tax collectors, lifting up the Samaritans. All these amazing good things that Jesus did, he did not do just to prove his own morality. He did not do it to prove that he was a good, tolerant person. He did these things to prove to the world that God's promise from the very beginning of time was coming true. That all nations, all people are welcome in God's family. That the way the world will be put back together is through Jesus. This is Luke chapter 24 verse 46. It's Jesus' last interaction with his disciples. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You know, this passage is very unique because simultaneously Jesus is saying he's fulfilling one prophecy while also giving a new one. He's saying, I fulfilled the prophecy of being the Messiah. I suffered. I died. I rose from the dead. But he also says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And he tells them that God is going to pour out his spirit on them. And if you study the Bible, then you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about what happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, 
Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Aaron's, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And we know what happens after this. Peter addresses the crowd. He tells them the good news about Jesus. And 3,000 people are baptized that day. And this is the start of the church. And all of these people go back to their home nations and they spread the message of Jesus. And people from all nations of the earth begin to be reconciled back into God's family. You see, in Genesis 11, the people built a ziggurat because they wanted to bring the sons of God down to earth. And how does God reconcile their sin? He sends Jesus, the true son of God, down to earth. In Genesis 11, there was one nation, and God separated them and gave them different languages. And in Acts chapter 2, there were many nations, and God gave the disciples the power to speak in different languages, so all people will be reconciled back to him. He confuses their language as punishment, and then uses those different languages to bring everyone back to him. So as a church, we are now faced with an important question. How will we get the message about Jesus to all nations? If we believe the Bible, if these scriptures are true, if what we'd read in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 In Acts chapter 2, if these things are true, then how will we get this message to all the world? To all the races, black, white, and every color in between. To men, to women, to old people, to young people, to rich people, to poor people, to people who are like us and people who are not like us. How will we get the message of Christ to all nations? I'm sure this has crossed your mind at some point. What are we going to do about all of this? What stance should we take? Should we be more conservative or should we be more liberal? Should we get back to our roots and and stand firm in our convictions and, and take a hold of what we really believe? Or should we push the boundaries and fight for a more progressive culture? You know, which one is it? Which way are we going to go? You know, half the church would probably say, no, we need to be more conservative. We got to get back to our roots. And the other half of the church would say, no, we need to be more liberal. We got to push the boundaries a little bit. We got to be more inclusive. So which way... Are we going to go? And more importantly, 
which way would Jesus go? You know, I think the answer is found in what Steve was talking about last week. The answer is found in the tension. Personally, I think to reach all nations, we've got to be doing both. I believe that in order to reach all nations, we need to be conservative with our doctrine, but liberal with our love. And this is what we're going to be exploring for the next two weeks. And we're going to be looking at examples of how Jesus really lived this out. Next week, we're going to be talking about how Jesus was conservative with his doctrine, how he laid a solid foundation. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about how Jesus was liberal with his love, that he really pushed the boundaries of what it means to love people. You know, we all want to make a difference. We all want to reach all nations. And we all feel this tension. And if you're feeling discouraged today from anything in the world or anything anyone might have done, just take a minute and realize that if you've been baptized into Christ, if you have faith in Jesus, then you are a part of God's spiritual family. The nation that God chose out of all of the people, you are part of that. And if you haven't been baptized into Christ, if you haven't given him all of your faith, I want to urge you to take that next step. What you're missing out on is amazing. Being called a spiritual descendant of the living God. You know, I'm excited to continue this study series of of putting the world back together. And I want to thank you all for joining us today. You know, if it was your first time joining us, we're going to have this meet and greet after with all the ministers. Uh, We'd love to invite you to that. We're going to post the Zoom link on the YouTube chat. You should see it there. Uh, And we'd love just to get to interact with you, to get to know you a little bit more. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and, and say a prayer for the communion. God, you know, the Bible is amazing, and we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that as humans, we get to play a part in this divine story that you laid out for us. God, you know, we're so grateful that you are gracious. Although you are just and you punish, you give the solution, and you are so quick to do it. God, I pray as a church, uh, we would continue to, to push the boundaries of love, but also keep your son's words as our foundation. God, thank you for the amazing family that we have. Thank you for the ways that we are learning and growing and the ways that you're pruning our fellowship. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And it's so amazing to be called your son and a descendant of you. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.